Hey everyone, welcome back to the Spice of Life podcast. I'm your host, Chef Taylor Duncan, and I'm here joined by my friend Paul Bolden from Studley Farms, and this is episode six. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you, Taylor. So Paul and I have been friends for a while. Um, I've known him for, what, about maybe two years now? Um, got him in a different couple different locations I was working at with his beef. He has some crazy, phenomenal beef, guys, like some of the best beef I've ever had. So Paul, go ahead and talk about a little bit about the farm and all that you offer. Okay. Um, so, uh, Stully Farms is a, a family operation. Uh, my wife and I, my wife Kim and I do it with uh, my parents, Paul and Tammy, and our two daughters, uh, Lucy and Mina. Um, you know, really started off as homesteaders about 12 years ago, uh, just producing for the family. And then, and then about five years ago, we, we decided to make a business of it. And, um, and as Taylor mentioned, we, we offer uh, grass-fed beef. Uh, we offer heritage breed pork, uh, pasture-raised non-GMO poultry, including chicken, ducks, turkeys, and and geese. And uh, new in 2021, we introduced uh, a line of lamb as well. Wow, that's awesome. So, other than that, as far as like you know, whole cuts, whole whole animals, can they get like sausages from you? What other kind of products do you guys offer? Yeah, so we we do sell uh, we do sell shares. Typically, that's with beef, um, but then we also sell by the cut. Uh, so you know, we sell uh, beef by the cut, pork by the cut, uh, lamb by the cut. Uh, we have a couple lines of sausages that we we currently carry with some collaborations we're doing with other producers and uh, and with meat crafters out of Maryland. That's awesome. Aren't you doing like some charcuterie or something out too? Yeah, we've got a. That's a, one of the partnerships with Meat Crafters. Is we we started a line of salami last year, which was a, a beef truffle salami. Which is pretty oh amazing. wow, that sounds amazing. So next, let's talk about um, where can where can everyone find you every week? You know, it is kind of cooler now. You know, winter time. I don't know if you guys are still going to markets, but during regular times, what markets are you guys at? Sure. Yeah. So we do offer uh, direct sales from the farm, but in addition to that, we're we're uh, regulars at the Ashland Farmers Market, uh, as well as the Yorktown Farmers Market. We're there. Uh, I want to say in Yorktown, we're there about every two weeks. Ashland, we're there every week. Um, twenty twenty one was a big growth year, so we picked up a bunch of markets. Uh, last year, we started with the uh, Dory T- Dory Park Farmers Market, uh, the Cary Town Farmers Market uh, in Richmond. And, uh, and we just started the Birdhouse Winter Market, which is also in Richmond. Oh, wow. So so where are you guys located for people that don't know? Sure. So our, our farms are located in Hanover County, Virginia. Uh, we're kind of spread out from the western part of, uh, of Hanover in a community called Knoll. And uh, we spread all the way to the, uh, to the east end of Hanover, just north of Mechanicsville. Okay. And are you originally from Hanover? I grew up in, in Glen Allen uh, as a suburbanite uh, when it was when it was all farms and and now it's nothing but suburbs there. Wow. So next question I have for you. So you kind of answered this. Um, how long have you been farming? Were you farming before you had your farm? Right. Uh, we uh, so we started farming officially in 2017. Uh, and that's when we we partnered with my parents and. Uh, you know, we had been raising animals going back to, I want to say 2010, but 
Okay. But really was just kind of as hobbyist homesteaders. You know, we had a couple chickens and some pigs and uh, 2017 is really where we made the shift to start outlining a, a business plan and looking at what it would take to, uh, to bring product to market. And, uh, and then we, we did some direct sales, uh, 2018 and 2019. And then 2020 is when we started picking up, um, farmers markets. Okay. it's awesome. So next thing, what's your favorite thing to make with one of your products? Like, you know, whether it's a whole cut, whether it's some sausage, whether some of the salami, is there something that you, you make on a regular basis for your family that you guys enjoy? I, I, there is actually, um, it's, and I, I can't pronounce the Flemish word for it, but essentially it's braised, uh, braised Belgian pork cheeks with frites. Okay. Yeah. I think, I think we talked about that before. That sounds really good. And your daughters enjoy that as well. Yeah. It's, it, there was usually not any leftovers from that meal. <laughs> well, I'd say that's a favor then for sure. Yeah. So, it's pretty amazing. It's, you know, it's pork cheeks and, uh, and onions and butter and a little bit of garlic and Belgian beer. So it's, it's a pretty awesome dish. Yeah. That sounds really good for sure. Yeah. Really hearty for sure. So next question I have for you are what restaurants and storefronts in Virginia are carrying your products? Right. So, um, so we, we pretty regularly have something on the menu at pharmacy restaurant with chef will, uh, there at Gloucester courthouse. Okay. Um, so he just listed pork chops from us about two weeks ago. And, uh, apparently that did really well. Um, but we, you know, we've provided steaks to will and, uh, as well as, uh, chicken parts, uh, for making, doesn't he sausage. make sausage with your stuff too? Yeah. He's done some, uh, andouille sausage for his shrimp and grits with some of our pork butts. And, um, I think he made some duck sausage a couple weeks ago. Nice. With some ducks that we provided. What about storefronts or any storefronts around the area? Yeah. So storefronts is, as you know, um, uh, Celtic Market there in Gloucester Courthouse. You had you had supported getting us in there, mm -hmm. uh, as well as Creekside Market uh, and Hayes. So still both carrying of those, both, uh, both of those. They are, you know, nice. it's, it's the holidays. It's been up and down, but uh, but we're still at both of those venues. Um, and the Caboose in Ashland, uh, Virginia, is also carrying uh, some of our our premium line of sausages. Okay, so just those three right now, or four, I guess, with the restaurant and those. Yeah, it's four. We had a we had a fifth, but um, but they had a change in ownership that went in a totally different, non-local, cheap meat option. So. Okay then. Well, you know the pandemic has hit kind of hard, as we all know, and you know prices on stuff are gone way up. I'm sure for you and for everyone else. I, mm -hmm. I don't like sacrificing quality at all. You know, it really depends on what the restaurant is and stuff like that. Right. I mean, I wish I could get steaks from you all the time. Once I get a, you know, once I get an actual catering freezer and stuff like that, I'd like to talk about that for sure with you, you know, get Absolutely. like maybe working with your stuff only or as much as I can. I really want to do that. I just, it's just not feasible right now, you know, as you know. Mm -hmm. um, so next couple questions um, I have for you is the first one is your animals, are your animals fed anything besides grass and hay? Sure. So our, our beef, our, our cattle are exclusively grass and hay, no grain. Okay. Um, so, you know, as, as you're probably familiar, the, there's an increasing uh, level demand uh, from the public on, on grass-fed beef. And so we've, we've stuck pretty, pretty heavy to that. Um, I would say the same on our, our sheep or lamb. 
are also uh, exclusively fed grass and hay. Uh, so this time of year, we're we're predominantly feeding hay to those two species. But um, but you know, in another two months, the grass will be coming back and we'll be back on on pasture. Right. So right now, when it's like super cold and there's not a lot of grass and stuff for them to eat because it's all dead, do they kind of hibernate ish? Uh, they're well they they do sleep a lot but they're they're pretty active um movement movement builds body heat creates an appetite and uh and so you'll see them at the at the um hay rings that we've got up feeding on hay uh pigs is a little different pigs we feed a combination of hog feed brewer's grain uh peanuts uh seasonal produce um had partnered with the orchard uh last year to to get their seconds for uh for the pigs like all their leftover stuff yeah all the the seconds things that maybe hit the ground or have blemishes uh, on them or something had blemishes so we we got under agreement with them to buy all their all their seconds that's great that's awesome and then black walnuts uh, i love feeding pigs black walnuts uh, and then they pigs will eat grass and hay they just won't you know they won't gain weight on that so they right. do eat grass and hay but they pretty much eat um, anything, right? They will pretty much eat anything. <laughs> and then our, our poultry operation, the chickens, ducks, turkeys, and geese, mm-hmm. uh, those are uh, pasture-raised, non-GMO feed. Okay. That's what I was going to ask, too, about the non-GMO. And, you know, <clears throat> is there any sort of, like, organic stuff going on there? Or are you not messing with that? Yeah. The the organic feed... Uh, I, I just don't see where the, the cost benefit is there to, to feed right. a, a certified organic feed. Um, the the hogs, we, we do feed them a non-GMO uh, feed, but we also feed them uh, a, a non-certified hog feed as well. So gotcha. um, the, the poultry, I would say, uh, you know, we're, we're 100% non-GMO feed with the poultry. Mm-hmm. Not everything we feed the pigs has a has a certification, and that that just comes down to to the cost and investment of of um, running pigs. It, I go through about four thousand pounds of of feed a month for for hogs. So wow, so that's an interesting question to talk about too. So how many hogs do you have right now, Tittle? Uh, hogs right now we're we're getting ready to introduce a whole bunch over the next uh, three months, but I'd say right now we're probably right around 65 or 70 wow and what uh are they certain breeds yeah so they're they're heritage breeds so we have uh we have ossabas uh we have large blacks uh we've got uh berkshires we've got crosses in in each of those lines as well the ossabar is like the new way to go didn't you weren't you talking about that or yeah, so it's you know it's it's up and down. I mean, I I got on the Osaba curve early on about ten years ago. Um, I kind of stumbled into it. I got a incredible opportunity to get some great stock at a very low price, um, and it, it's been kind of up and down. You know what you'll see every couple of years is you get like the new the new in pig and it's just like with everything, that. right? Absolutely, a, a lot of fads in the pork industry, so. That's crazy. Especially with uh, small producers. Yeah, yeah. I can definitely understand that for sure. So next, let's go into what breed of cattle do you raise? Okay. So we're a predominantly black Angus herd. Uh, We've experimented a little bit with uh, what they call black baldies, which Mm -hmm. are uh, Angus and Hereford. 
uh, cross cows. So, okay. uh, you know, uh, the Hereford's that red cow with the white face. And if you put a black Angus bull on that, you get what they call a black baldy, which is a, a black cow with a white face. Okay. So we've played around with those for a couple of years now. And just starting in 2021, uh, we added a Wagyu bull on our cows. And so we're going to be working towards uh, what they call an F1 first generation cross Wagyu and Angus. Wow. That's going to be, that's going to take some of your stuff to the next level, huh? That's, that's the plan. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it, for grass fed beef, it uh, takes about between 30 months and 36 months to get to, uh, to your your market weight so right. you know it's it's an investment if we have those calves say in uh march and april this year then we've got you know right about three years before they'll be ready to go to slaughter okay i gotcha so mm-hmm. it takes about three years for them to be ready and is that um, pretty yeah pretty normal like across the board for for grass-fed if, okay. if we we could get uh to market weight if we fed them grain, we'd be there in about 20 months. So okay. it's not really in alignment with the, the kind of slow foods and, and, you know, more natural diet that, um, that we're, we're trying to promote with our operation. Right. Uh, next question I have for you is, do you move your cattle from field to field or do they generally stay in the same field or they have to move when stuff's grown? Right. Yeah, it's a great question. So, uh, so we, we do use rotational pastures for the, particularly for the cows. Um, so during the growing season, we move them every single day. Okay. Uh, so, you know, from, uh, say, from March to late October, sometimes early November, they get moved every day. And by doing that, uh, they're introduced to fresh pasture uh, every, every 24 hours, and they have less impact on, on the ground that they're standing on. You know, they're not chewing grass up by the roots they're not compacting it as much um and so that means that we can get a lot more production out of a smaller amount of acreage than if we just let them do what they call strip grazing where you 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 just have animals in a, in a large open field for weeks at a time what you'll see is that that ground gets a lot more compacted uh and and they'll start tearing the grass up by the roots right and then long periods of recovery and what we see is in about a in about a uh, two week period, we can start throwing them back on that first pasture that they started on, and, and again they're only there for a day during the growing season. Okay. In the winter, in the winter, we restrict their movement to uh, to just a select few paddocks that we that we put the hay in, mm-hmm. and we move them every two weeks okay. during the. Because they're just eating the hay at that point. They're not eating the grass or anything. Because they're eating the hay, and we've already, you know, we've already selected which paddocks we're going to accept that that kind of compaction or gotcha. or uh, destruction on the grass structure. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. So, next question I had was: so, how many cows do you have total? Yeah, I got to think about that for a minute. I think, I think we're somewhere between twenty-eight and thirty-four, somewhere in that range. Okay, right now. I got gotcha. you, and. Do you breed your own cattle? Well, I don't, but the bull does. Okay. So, well, right. I got yeah. you. I didn't know if y'all had to like assist with that. Um, yeah, we're we're currently on a on a natural breeding program. Uh, we've looked at AI, uh, particularly when we were looking to get into the wagyu. Mm-hmm. But we got a 
we got a good buy on a on a pedigreed wagyu bull and and figured we'd give it a give a give him a shot and then you know we'll see what the so result. I guess you'll see what happens. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So next question I had was, so you're doing these workshops and stuff now. Do you have any coming up or what is the one you did? You just did one this past weekend, right? That's right. Yeah, we did a, a whole hog butchery workshop this past weekend. So uh, that goes through all the processes of, uh, it's a two-day workshop, but it goes through all the processes of stunning, sticking, scalding, scraping, uh, eviscerating, splitting. That's all on day one. And then day two, we, we get into carcass prep. So okay. you know, we start, we work up the head, uh, we split the, the, uh, each side of, of pork in this case gets, uh, broken down into primals, like your shoulder, your mm -hmm. leg, uh, you know, your, your loin, uh, and your belly. And then we start breaking each of those into individual cuts. And, uh, and so that's what we went through on um, Saturday and Sunday this week. Okay. How many people do you usually have at those? For those, we, we try and cap the uh, whole hog butchery workshop right around 12. Uh, you know, I want to make sure that folks, that everybody that's uh, participating has the opportunity to get their hands uh, on the something. Yeah. Yep. And and more than 12, it's, uh, it's a little more taxing on me. And then you can start to notice people are standing in the background. They're not as engaged. Yeah. And you don't want that for sure. So, like this weekend on Sunday, I've got a sausage making workshop. Okay. Coming up, we capped that at ten, and uh, and really the the limit at ten there is uh, because the math works really good. If we do five types of sausage, we'll do uh, ten pound batches. So then we end up with fifty pounds of meat. Yeah. And each person perfect. goes home with a selection of the sausages that they make. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So. Is that the first sausage workshop you've done, or is it you've already done one of those? I've I've done some informal ones with with folks. This is the the first one that we we decided to list, um, and um, kind of coupling with a a new business venture we're working on to to start producing our own line of sausages that that the farm produces. So nice. So is and are the all these classes held at your farm? They are. Uh, okay. They're either at our farm or they're they're at um, partner farms. So okay, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, next question I have is: Is there any special certifications you hold when it comes to being a farmer in Virginia? So there are, there are no. I'll say there's no required certifications. Um, you know my my background. I'm a Eagle Scout. I'm a degreed mechanical engineer. Uh, do it yourselfer. Mm -hmm. uh, you know I've got. I've got uh, various industry certifications like the OSHA 30s, uh, a safety certification. Um, I did complete the Virginia Tech Master Cattleman program last year. Okay. Uh, just completed in November the um, the uh, mobile processing unit for small ruminants program with uh, Virginia State. Okay. Uh, no, that's see, that's exactly like extra stuff. Exactly what I was talking about. So that's perfect. You know, other stuff that you would have that other people might not have. Um, next question I have is, where do you have your meat processed at? Right. So currently, for beef, pork, and lamb, uh, it's it's wherever we can get dates. So we we drive uh, throughout uh, central and western Virginia. Uh, drive to North Carolina, and in two weeks I'll be in Pennsylvania with uh, with Raiders Quarter Farm dropping. Uh, dropping pork off. Uh, poultry we produce 
um, we're able to produce our, our poultry on the farm through, uh, through the state exemption. Okay. All right. So uh, we already talked about what do you raise other than cattle? Um, so we did kind of go into that. You said pork, cattle, turkeys, ducks. Is there anything else you didn't mention? Um, the, uh, sheep, sheep. uh, turkey, turkey and yeah okay geese too so do you do any like foie gras or anything you know i i haven't gotten there yet um you know of course you know if you know that's an interesting uh topic right so you have the foie gras which is uh traditionally that's from goose liver and specifically from a breed of goose called the the uh toulouse goose uh, from france Mm -hmm. uh, which is an eastern gray lag goose um and then you have another product that um i think some producers like d'artagnan call it uh faux gras okay and that, that's actually uh, a duck liver from uh for a hybrid duck they call the moulard which is a cross between the uh, muscovy duck and the pekin duck but wow that's didn't didn't know that yeah I knew there was uh, fatted duck liver, but I know they had. I know that sometimes they do it from geese too. So I was just kind of curious. Um, next question I have for you is: What is your favorite local restaurant? Right, right now it's it's probably uh, pharmacy restaurant in, in Gloucester. So I've enjoyed everything I've eaten there, um, and and. You know, always have a, a good experience at the bar or in the kitchen with the chef. So yeah, that's great. That's what it's all about. You know, and them carrying your stuff is even bigger plus as well. Absolutely. All right. So next thing, I have five trivia questions. Um, so Paul has been able to see the questions, but not the answers. So just so he was kind of able to prepare a little bit. So first question I have for you is, what is what is the top five states with the most beef cows in the United States? Right. So I, I did look this up because I, I didn't know off the top of my head. Um, so uh, what I found from beef to beef to live.com uh, was Texas, Nebraska, Kansas, California, and Oklahoma. Yep. That's what I have as well. That's completely right. Um, so now here, but here's an interesting one from you in Virginia beef is is one of virginia's top five exports oh really i didn't know that as of this year Uh, consistently uh, every year beef is in our top five exports wow that's that's pretty awesome so what percentage do pasture and rangeland represent of the land usage in the united states right so for this one i i went to the uh natural resources conservation service which is a division of the USDA. Mm-hmm. And uh, and according to them, private-owned range and pasture lands make up about 27% of the total acreage uh, within the continental U.S. Yeah, it's about the same. Uh, it's a little bit off, but I'm sure it's kind of that they probably don't have an accurate number on that for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So next, um, how many ranchers slash cattle producers do you think there are in the United States? Another justified answer. Yep. You know, it's just kind of sure. ballpark. Yep. So this one I found uh, through the competitive markets um, website. 
and it indicated, depending on where you read on the website, uh, one area it was uh, a million producers, and another area it was like 970,000. So, you know, I would say somewhere between 970,000 and, and a million producers are in the U.S. Yeah, that's a lot for sure, and that's a lot of beef. Um, better question would have been how many of those are in Virginia. I need to look that up. Um, so next question I have is what percentage of beef does the United States farmers and ranchers produce? So this is a little bit harder. Um, so I was able to find like big numbers, like 18% of the world's beef um, produced from 8% of the world's cattle. And that yeah. Came, that's what I found too. That, yeah. So that came from noble.com, but you know, then I was trying to think of other directions your question might be going in, like uh, what percentage of beef that we consume in the U.S. is here mm -hmm. in the U.S. And for that, I really could not find uh, good statistics on that. Yeah, that's probably really hard for them to, to justify. The 18 and the 8, I'm sure, is for, you know, worldwide commerce, you know, mm -hmm. distribution and stuff like that. So, you know, kind of up in there depending on who you ask so next question i have are or the final question who are the top importers of beef in the u.s yeah i struggled with this one i i really could not could not find uh you know i at kind of 15 minutes on this one the other one's real easy to find but mm -hmm. i couldn't i couldn't find an answer on this one so i got japan south korea and mexico um but i think it's one of those situations too where it kind of depends and you wouldn't really think that would be the top importers you would think it would be like somewhere that has a lot of you know farmland like somewhere in europe mm -hmm. uh, but i thought it was interesting that japan south korea and mexico i mean it makes sense because what um wagyu and kobe come from japan right yeah so originally um, well so kobe kobe is wagyu okay yeah so kobe's just a region just like if you go to um you know and, and kobe is on honshu whereas if you go to kyushu they don't eat kobe beef in kyushu they eat saga beef which is another prefect so kobe's a prefect more northern japan uh Saga's a prefect uh, in southern Japan, and and so it's all Wagyu beef, but you have these prefectural differences on just regional or location. So, gotcha. Well, so that was that was a really fun podcast, man. I appreciate you coming on here. And last thing I wanted you to kind of talk about is talk about uh, where people can find you on social media, where people can find your website, and then if you have any upcoming workshops or markets you wanted to kind of plug in here. Sure, absolutely. So, um, so right now we don't have a website. Work, it's a work in progress. Okay. Uh, we are on Facebook uh, at Studley Farms, um, and you'll see um, farmy type stuff. It, it, it has right now. I think we have a, a as our profile pic. We have a boar's head with a Christmas wreath around it. But um, that's our social media footprint today. Um, I'll be at the uh, Yorktown Farmers Market uh, on the 29th of January, and we'll also be at the RVA Home Show at the uh, Meadow Event Park Fairgrounds uh, the 29th and 30th. Okay. And then the 12th, we'll be at Ashland Farmers Market and Yorktown Farmers Market that weekend. As far as upcoming workshops, I've got uh, I've got the sausage workshop this upcoming 
Sunday the 23rd. Then I've got Is another. Is that sold out? I've got two slots left on that one. Okay. And then I've got um, got the whole hog butchery workshop for February 19th and 20th. We just started taking reservations on that. Um, and then I've got another sausage workshop. Uh, we just opened up yesterday for February 27th. So, And how can uh, people get reservations for this? So this message you on Facebook? Message on Facebook. Um, you know, they can, you know, they can, um, I've got a Craigslist ad that's up right now. Okay. Um, cool. You know, references, people can give my number out. Uh, it's fine. Uh, but that, I think the sausage workshop is going to be really cool. We're going to talk about what makes sausage great. Uh, you know, starting with good meat. Um, we're going to plan to do five sausages. Uh, talk about the differences between collagen and natural casings. Uh, participants will get to, to use both of them with a sausage stuffer. That's awesome. And, Are you doing all pork sausage? Uh, for the for the first one, I think so. Uh, so we're going to do a, a breakfast sausage. Uh, we'll do a, a chorizo. Um, Italian sausage will give the participants a choice between a sweet Italian or mild Italian. Okay. We'll do, we'll do English bangers and uh, and we'll do some kibasa. Nice. Um, but yeah, it should be should be a good time. I'm really excited about it. I've been passionate about Lincoln sausage for a long time, and and uh, I'm excited about it. So. No, that sounds really good. I definitely need to make my way up there and come out to one of the workshops and definitely need to come do a tour sometime soon as well. Absolutely. All right, Paul. Well, thank you so much for joining me once again on the Spice of Life podcast, episode six. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining me. Once again, you can find me on Instagram, Chef Duncan 94 and on Facebook at Personal Experiences with Chef Taylor. Thanks you, thank you guys so much and talk to you next time. Thanks, Paul. Have a great night. Thank you, Taylor.